From Flourish DX, this is the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. With workplace mental health becoming a safety prerogative, this is the source of information on psychological injury prevention and health promotion. Hi, and welcome to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. My name is Jason Van Shee, and I'm one of the hosts of the show. The aim of the podcast is to rapidly increase the knowledge and application of psychological health and safety in workplaces worldwide. To help with this, we have regular guests from around the world who are leading the way in this important area. But before I introduce our guest and topic for today, allow me to introduce my co-host, Joel Mitchell. How are you today, Joel? I'm, I'm feeling a little bit sleepy. Yeah. Um, so my son lately has been um, waking up sort of the early hours of the morning and coming and getting into bed with me. Um, and a couple of nights ago, he did that and he had his headphones on because he likes to, like he'll listen to an audio book to help him get to sleep. Um, so that was fine. But then um, last night he came in at 12.30, which was quite early, um, but he brought a physical book with him. And I don't know what he thought he was going to do with that physical book <laughs> while he was in my bed in the dark. Yeah. Um, so I sent him back to his bedroom and told him to just try harder to get back to sleep. Because <laughs> <laughs> that works, yeah. Well, I, I turned on the air conditioner for him and, yeah. and that sort of thing. So I think he just... um. Yeah, maybe wasn't wasn't had quite the right uh, sleeping conditions, but um, he said he hadn't slept up until that point, so that wasn't great. Yeah, likely story though, right? Oh no, there was evidence. Like he'd been <laughs> he'd been doing some craft, some crafting. Um, yeah, not not like magic, but actual arts, arts and crafts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he's not a wizard, my, my, <laughs> just to be clear for yeah, everybody, yeah. for all the listeners out there who, who might have been confused. Um, <laughs> so, no, yeah, he, I, I think he had actually just not been asleep yet because um, he was pretty, pretty wired. Um, yeah, I'll have, to, I'll have to bring a book in to, to, uh, to share. Um, I got it for my birthday from my six-year-old mm. um, from Jimmy Reese. Um, and it's just basically all of the excuses you can think of for why I can't sleep or, yeah, you know, yeah. it's, and I've heard all of them, I swear, like there's so many. And uh, I read it to my six-year-old, <laughs> like, you've done that one, that one, that one, that one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm too hot. I'm too thirsty. I'm too cold. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm hungry. hungry. <laughs> yeah. 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 Too good. All right. Well, look, this isn't a parenting show. No. Uh, I believe it's a psych health and safety show. So we should probably introduce our guest. Good idea. <laughs> so um, really great to have this person on. Um, very interesting background. So in his youth, he spent six months meditating in the Malaysian jungle. Compelled to help others improve their well-being, he spent 10 years studying and practicing traditional Chinese medicine in Beijing. Upon returning to Australia, he completed a master's degree in coaching psychology from the University of Sydney. He now serves as a global head of well-being for Zero. Welcome to the podcast, Lucas Finch. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. No, really stoked to have you on, mate. Um, really love your work uh, and what you're doing over there at Zero, and can't wait to share a bit about what you're doing with the listeners today. Yeah, well, it's exciting to be here. I um, I've been a fly on the wall in your podcast for a while, so it's good to good to meet in person. Yeah, awesome. Fantastic. Well, speaking of podcasts, um, other than ours, what others do you like to listen to? Ooh, I am a fan of Esther Perel. Um, How's work specifically? I will um, get into the Tim Ferriss podcast, the Tim Ferriss show. And if I'm looking to unwind, I, mean, I, I do enjoy Krista um, Tippett's um, On Being as well. That's a nice one to tune into. Yeah, I have to check that one out. I'm, I'm running out of uh, yeah, the, the tune out or kind of wind down kind of podcasts. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, they're, they're um, good to have on the list. Um, yeah, some, some ones there that we haven't heard from other guests before, so that's good for our listeners who are keeping notes. Um, <laughs> so tell us about your professional career then. It sounds like you've had a bit of a, um, a winding path to get where you are. Yeah, it really has um, been a crooked old path, but I've enjoyed pretty much every minute of it. Um, yeah, it started that that meditation. Um, uh, yeah, I spent six months. That sort of started it in the silent meditation in the Malaysian jungle, and that was a time where I took some time out to think about my career path and obviously just practice um, meditation and sort of help build that self-regulation muscle, which really sort of um, uh, needed some firming up. I was probably uh, drinking heavily from the cup of life um, in the in the in the couple of years before that, and uh, en- enabled me to then return and do um, post like studies and uh, really explore this world of well-being. So I've been uh, tinkering around in all sorts of places since then. Um, so how do you go from meditating in the jungle to um, head of well-being at zero? Um, I sent in the application while in the jungle and no, it's joking. Uh, uh, <laughs> the, um, it was, I had decided, actually, it was, I had a shoulder injury and that I'd been receiving acupuncture for. And I thought acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine seemed an interesting mix between uh, sort of art and craft, art and science. And um, I went in and it was just a wonderful world into the wide array of uh, the different alternative medicine therapies and ways people approach well-being and it also meant that I was exposed to a lot of um, questionable practices and claims and so I left um, TCM and studying that that undergrad degree uh, with a real respect for scientific imperialism and um, as as well as the um, the wisdom of like the imperialist practice of Chinese medicine some of those uh, that deep body of wisdom and some of the for those of you who haven't really been exposed to some of the theory, even though it's not really something I kind of um, purport and, and drive it at zero, th- there's a huge amount of systems thinking and interdependent thinking and some really wisdom that is part of that field of medicine that um, certainly was sort of formative in the way I saw the world. So, um, yeah, so that's where I started. And actually, it wasn't 10 years. in. Um, in I spent three months as an intern in Chinese medicine in the hospital, and I had then I developed practice and health facility in um in Sydney and I uh, worked as a trainer and uh, it was there was this point in re- which I realized that I was trying to tell people what they needed to do like you need to you know eat this vegetable and move this way and uh, I came across coaching through receiving coaching and then I, I did a number of studies in coaching and just changed my view in terms of how to really enact um behavior change and, and specifically, I guess, it was a subject in the, I did the Masters of Coaching Psych at, at Sydney Uni and Dr. Michael Kavanagh runs a subject called Groups, Teams and Systems, which looks at the, you know, the systemic, um, the way we're affected and how our well-being is really dependent, not only like on our individual uh, circumstances, but those, you know, groups, teams and systems were embedded in. So that's where I sort of started to look at workplace uh, well-being. Yeah. Now, um, Lucas, as a founder of a tech company myself, I really like good tech and i got to say that we do use Xero, but for people who aren't familiar with the product, what, what is Xero? Right. Well, Xero is a cloud-based accounting platform. Um, I actually came to, to use Xero first as a customer um, because I will admit that doing my BAS regularly was not my strong suit. 
And um, so what I found that it could let me do was um, focus on my work and, you know, clinical work and, and it automates uh, and, and it makes business uh, easy and beautiful. It's very easy to use and it's intuitive and it enabled me to focus on you know, doing my best work. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a great platform. I highly recommend anyone who's self-employed or in small business to, to check it out. Yeah. And how large is the business now? Well, we're um, reaching, there's over 2 million customers um, and we're operating in seven different regions. Um, sorry, seven different countries. And it's been uh, sort, of, sort of an ex- exponential rapid growth period. It's a really exciting time to be uh, you know, part of this company as it grows into new markets. And it's really identified a, um, a pla- like a, an ability to add value to small business beyond just simple accounting. So it's, uh, it's exciting. And so um, tell us about then what does um, the head of global wellbeing do for Zero? So Zero's had a really um, strong and um, uh, Zero's had a really strong path of advocacy for wellbeing long before I was there, and um, the that extends to both um, you know like supporting customers. So, so Zero's got a history of extending like its EAP program XAP to um, Zap in New Zealand to the customers, as well as um, our leader in. Uh, ANZ, Rachel Powell, who um, has advocated and sort of been, uh, she's also studied uh, high-level positive psych. So she's sort of made the, the tenets of um, post-psych available to our customers as well. So we've got this inside-out philosophy. My role is to develop, um, you know, systems, practices, and capabilities across the organisation. And uh, I have developed a wellbeing strategy for Zero, and it really looks at how to, you know, using an integrated model, looking at how to support, protect, and promote wellbeing across the workforce. Yeah, no, we're definitely a fan of the integrated model and uh, it sounds like our listeners are too because Tony's episode now I think is officially the third most listened to only a month in um, since it's been broadcast. Um, We'll soon surpass Wade Needham's episode, I think. Bad luck, Wade. You've been holding that number two (laughs) spot for a long, long time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Who's number one? uh, us, of course. Yeah, us. The, the episode first, one. Uh, episode, episode one. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> the mystery I, think guest. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Tony surpasses uh, episode one as well. Yeah, the way he's going, that's yeah. a pretty, pretty uh, high growth rate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we won't, we won't hold it against him. No. <laughs> <laughs> but tell us more, um, Lucas, regarding uh, your process of of rolling out more of a, a, a systematic approach. Um, I mean, we do have a number of listeners who get concerned that they're not an organizational psychologist and so therefore they feel they don't they shouldn't be playing in this area and i really liked it when we spoke previously um, about how you're able to draw in uh, external expertise to really provide some guidance around it but i really love to hear the story again from you or for you to share with our listeners um, regarding the the process that you went to from zero basically to having a, a pretty good system in place yeah, in terms of specifically in terms of the work health and safety psych um, risk management aspect. Yeah, yeah, specifically that, yeah. So, yeah, the way we approached it was um, I was fairly certain that we needed some sort of baselining. We rolled out the, the PSC-12 and, and got the data, um, but uh, the hypothesis was that it'd be predictive of individual and organisational level outcomes, and it was great to see that reflected in the data. But we knew that there'd be a heat map generated from this um, from this study, 
and uh, that certainly uh, my proposition wasn't if people were in the red to fly in with um, stretchy pants and fruit bowls and try and save them that way, but we'd we'd look to lean into what their experience of work um, has been, and and uh, so we've been partnering with Australian Psychological Services, so uh, David Burrows and, and Laura Kirby, um, who have been just really instrumental in helping um, do a, a few things, both at a tactical level, like lean in and, and uh, you know, undertake a wellbeing climate review. So we call the, the PC12 the wellbeing climate. We also ask some sort of uh, engagement and, and burnout questions. Um, and so they've been leaning in, understanding people's experience of work and then creating uh, action plans based on um, some solution focused uh, discussions I've been having across the, the those cohorts that were identified with lower wellbeing climate. And so that's been really well received. Um, and in, in addition to that, we've been uh, developing a fluency of language across our most senior leaders, including our CEO and our executive teams in um, the levers available. One of the frameworks we use is the um, the job command, the job demand control support model, Carasex model, and and um, so yeah, we I don't have to be an expert in that, but we certainly just uh, what's been really useful is operationalizing the core tenets of that, that theory uh, to make it accessible for our leaders. And um, we uh, so one of the ways I like to think about that we're talking about flow theory before mm. with uh, with. And um, his view of like you're needing this right balance between the resources or skills you have and the demands or the challenges of your environment, right? And so um, I'm not sure if I am bastardizing this too much, but the, the way I was explaining it to um, the leaders is like, imagine if you're an, an eagle um, flying, you look up an eagle, this thing is like majestic, right? It's got like keen eyes and a sharp beak and you look at it and it's like, it's impressive and um, it, it's, it's impressive because it has to be, it has to be able to dive down and you know, fly down hundreds of meters to catch a field mouse in the middle of a plane. So its skills are perfectly matched to the, the, the challenges of its environment or the resources it has are perfectly matched to the, the uh, demands of its environment. And so using a, just a very simple model like that and then we would lean in and explore, well, well how does that look like in our environment? And uh, what 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 skills and resources and challenges and demands are, are true of our environment? Yeah. So, how did you communicate that? Was that a board presentation or exec presentation? Yeah, I came in flying like an eagle. It was <laughs> mostly um, theatrical. No, we uh, we had a. I can imagine a, a Gavin Belson esque oh, uh, yeah. presentation. Like, yeah. Observe the uh, the <laughs> elephant. <laughs> yeah, um, we've. Uh, it's been a conversation that's been unfolding on a number of levels, both with uh, you know that, that senior leadership group and our senior leaders of you know eight hundred so, and developing uh, in England, which operationalizes a number of videos, helping just to make the um, the language around some of the psychosocial factors and the job de demand control support model, uh, yeah, develop that fluency. So yeah, yeah, and um, how are you measuring? Um, success of, I guess, your wellbeing and, and psychosocial safety climate type interventions? So at a high level, we'll retest the PSC 12 and the, the wellbeing climate um, again in March. And in the interim, um, there's 
more local and maybe predictive lead indicators looking at so we're developing dashboards that can you know help lean into looking at things like attrition and um, absenteeism so we're able to identify uh, both uh, any any positive changes off the back of interventions or any sort of using those as predictive of uh, areas for future reviews so in this level in that the protect space that's how we're measuring and influencing i mean for our listeners that should be encouraging to hear because they're often um, asked, I guess, you know, why should we be doing this? Why should we be interested in wellbeing? Um, and sometimes it's hard to f- pull out an ROI figure. What's the direct benefit? Uh, but if you look at the cost of replacing employees, yeah, I, I think that can probably help people explain to leaders why wellbeing and psych health and safety is a bit more important than just purely this is a warm and fuzzy. Yeah, definitely. I think the turnover, um, especially with um the, the way that things seem to be heading at the moment with everybody talking about the great resignation, um, you know, the the implications for turnover, I think. And if we've got that, um, some of that data to say, yes, you know, we can show that there is actually a, a relationship between improving um, psychosocial safety climate and reducing turnover, that's, that's going to be a significant driver for a lot of organisations. Right. And the yeah i love this conversation because i mean it's my biggest driver to you know obviously promote well-being and to see it reflected in some of this data is super encouraging and especially for like a fast-paced you know high demand demand environment um to see what we've essentially established is that the well-being climate is protective of people's well-being and also those organizational outcomes so just you know creating that climate and we could talk about how you then go and enact that but but just creating a climate where people feel their well-being is seriously considered and looked after um you know is good for the bottom line as well so how do you continue to keep psc high and well-being like looked after um, through so much change yeah well it's a good question there's um it's certainly not going to be a single silver bullet that's for sure um and thankfully we're building up a culture where being one of the values is being hashtag human um, is um, really not just something on the wall people live. And so it's, it's having this value, which um, extends into supportive leadership behavior, which we understand is one of those great things that helps offset demands. And it's really well lived at zero. So helping operationalize and give um, some more skills and tools to leaders to how to lean in and, uh, you know, have those uh, critical conversations the right way during periods of change is just a capability, which uh, I think is really valuable in this current climate. Um, so I think generic capabilities like that uh, go a long way and specifically um, leaning in having, um, you know, like well, what makes up people's experience of work and we're you know, these conversations aren't new, but people are you know, in increased meeting load during since COVID and, uh, you know, increased screen time and distracted by technology and maybe not having enough time to do their deep work and focus and really make that unique contribution. And so we're partnering with some cognitive psychologists um, to establish some baselines in these areas and rolling out interventions that looks at really clever ways to lean into improved meeting meeting load and how to reduce meetings, uh, you know, um, intelligently, um, how to increase deep work and focus time, looking at some both team and organizational level interventions um, in that area and looking at prioritization, both an individual level and of course, organizationally looking at how to get really crystal clear on what you have to do each day, develop that 
that sense of control. Um, so there's some of the key things. Oh, I've got one more thing. Can I mention that as well? The, yeah. the, um, the, I, I suppose in a high change environment, one of the um, strategies, so that we're looking at in addition to support, protect and promote, the strategy looks at, at an individual level, like me, at a team and community level, we, and at an organizational level, us. So all of those things I mentioned and the wellbeing are more systemic in nature. Um, the wellbeing climate sits in that sort of like that team element, really like helping to identify and lean into um, people's experience of work at a team level. And then at an individual level, it's been looking at, well, how do you build your best day? We, we, we have a really strong belief that people can come to zero and be included and do the best work of their life. And so, well, what does that look like at a daily level, like with goals, habits, rituals about how you build energy, like build your resources, and then how you spend energy in terms of, you know, meeting those demands of your home and life, um, looking at things like habits and uh, healthy well-being habits. And so that relates back to the high-level Caraset framework because it's looking at, well, how do we increase that sense of control um, over the things that you can influence, uh, you know, and the habits often fall into that category. Um, so you, you're talking really about um, this sort of systems-based approach to um, to workplace mental health and wellbeing, which is fantastic. Um, I think, you know, you, you'll be familiar with the focus of a lot of um, mental health initiatives in the workplace uh, tend to be reactive and you know focused on encouraging people to seek help once they're um symptomatic of of mental illness for example um so sort of you know the the stigma reduction and awareness raising and then you know um providing um support via eap or um you know your sort of workplace rehabilitation providers and that sort of thing um how do you what process did you follow to help leaders shift their mindset from thinking about it as an individual sort of treatment approach to actually looking at a systematic prevention approach? Yeah, it's a good question. I th- um, there's a few ways. I mean, one would just be visually when rolling out at the very start, the, the, the idea of um, the wellbeing climate, which is um, visually, I've got it here, there's the job demand control model, which looks at resources and demands and flowing into um, individual and and sort of systemic level impacts. And so uh, that chart is very useful in describing people like, of course, we want to be influencing things upstream and, you know, not not reacting or even, you know, um, responding to things, but preventing uh, by the design of work. And certainly the... um, increase in cultural awareness of those systemic workplace factors contributing to burnout. I think there's been a really sort of like aligned with my 12 months at zero being a sort of global increase in the appreciation of the fact that workplace factors play a role in that area. And so um, that's been you know useful as well to sort of say, well, that's what we're influencing with this, with this aspect of the program. Mm. So did you, were the leaders sort of already thinking about this from a systems perspective or was this a real sort of shift in, um, in their, um, mental model? Yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, that would be the one, um, slight tweak to the existing understanding of wellbeing that's happened since I've come in to understand that, um, I mean, I think the utilization of a 
integrated model approach, which sort of looks at we support, we mm. you know protect and we promote. So there's different aspects and that well-being isn't about the fruit bowls and yoga classes as much as like in how we do business. And so it's like, oh, it's all of that stuff. And then using the like Carisex model or the, 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 um, the PSC 12, the psychosocial safety climate model to explain, well, how does that look in terms of primary, secondary and tertiary interventions and understanding how to get upstream. So did you experience any challenges with getting leaders to sort of understand the difference between a reactive approach and a, and a proactive approach? Could you ask that question again, sorry? Did you, did you experience any difficulties with, um, with getting leaders to understand sort of the difference between that reactive, you know, treatment-based approach versus that proactive preventative approach? I think people get it. And I think this is what's, I mean, it's been great to be able to um, come in, like I said, with this, um, I mean, I, I feel Zero is really mature in the way it understands well-being. It understands culture and it understands like the, how these uh, creating a climate and these, these factors are upstream and a determinant of individual, you know, individuals able to reach their potential and companies doing the same. So I think that it's sort of part of the DNA already um, and I think greatly assisted by the fact that, you know, perhaps people have been having EAPs for a long period of time, are seeing this rise in workplace burnout and, um, and ready to look at other solutions in terms of how we can impact wellbeing at work. Yeah. Okay. Cause I, um, I'm just thinking about the episode that we did with Kat, which hasn't aired yet, but you know, where she was talking about organizations being at different levels of maturity and readiness for different approaches um so it sounds like zero was probably further along that um that maturity um curve if you like um in terms of what, what they were actually ready to adopt and and where they were in terms of their um their learning and or knowledge about this yeah i mean there's when i've rolled the, the this similar approach out at sydney water where i was previously the um it's you know you can use a a, a, a balance between the carrot and the stick in terms of the OHS um, requirements, which obviously has is, is been uh, increased in prevalence since the release, and release of the ISO standard, um, or the, the carrot in terms of like we can, you know, good work is good for people and we can, we can really improve um, uh, individual and organisational level outcomes. It's, it's my narrative at, at there has been primarily around um, good work is good for people because that's part of the organizational the, the way people are really looking at things yeah so it's more about aligning your messaging or your selling points with um the the values and the um the, the culture of the organization right i think that's that's all that's exactly what it's about and that's um kind of like hopefully what some uh, workplace well-being interventions do is they marry up and just take a step forward from cu current cultural and uh, values and um, the work that's been done and extended a little bit more in a way that enables change. Yeah. So for listeners uh, currently working on a business case, what, what are your organisations, um, not, not their espoused values, but what are the things that um, actually make um, drive decision-making and um, build your business case around those? That's a, that's a great takeaway. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's interesting uh, how you've kind of progressed it so quickly. Uh, I think they're at zero, Lucas, uh, and it's great to have that support, obviously, from leadership to be able to do that. Um, 
it's, I, I was actually asked to deliver a webinar recently and there was a question at the end um, asking for some advice regarding what do I do if leadership is hostile <laughs> towards this? And I'm like, well, probably go to another organization would be the easy one. Um, it yeah. sounds like you've got a lot of support, which is fantastic. Um, how would you answer that question, Lucas, if uh, someone was in a position like you where, uh, I mean, first of all, probably a, a company that was hostile towards this probably wouldn't have a global head of health and well-being. Probably not, no. But let's say that you're passionate about health and well-being, maybe a health and safety professional or in HR or OD or something like that, and you're coming across um, roadblocks from leadership. How do you convince them that this is something worthwhile investing in if it's not part of the values? Um, well, I think that every business values productivity and that there's um, certainly like, you know, understanding how to frame the message in a way that the, the, the person can receive it would be the number one piece. And so if the business doesn't value well-being, well, what do they value? And, and how can you uh, shift the narrative to, because I can assure you that everyone that in, would enjoy increased productivity, uh, retention, all of these aspects. And uh, it's, it's a wonderful time to be in this industry because you can talk in languages and in, you know, to values that most companies would, would um, resonate with. Yeah, I think it's a, a, a fantastic the level of expertise that you've been able to bring in to also help drive this. How did you convince leadership to, uh, you know, to allow you to work with the likes of David and Laura and, and Maureen? Um, well, you know, I guess thankfully they um, they were very trusting, and it's, I feel very grateful that they've been able to, you know, um, uh, enable me to to bring these people in to, you know, to their thought leadership and um, and essentially test these models, especially the the PSC, and uh, and 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 be able to show that they work in a workplace. Um, so I think that that speaks to the trust and, um, you know, the, the place that this role was given by that zero leadership team. Yeah, I'm interested though, how did you pitch it? Like, did you say what to get them across the line? Oh, um, so in terms of the advocacy, so I was, it's a good question. Well, how did I pitch it? I explained the um, integrated model and the fact that there was a real benefit for leaning into this area of protect and that there was this evidence-based model that was, you know, that I sort of like, I guess, hung my hat on it, said that, that if we measure this and we can show that this will improve individual and organizational level outcomes. And so people did this in the last work, but you know, like, well, fill your boots, let's, let's try it out. So you sort of got to put yourself on the line a little bit and, um, and it's, it was shown to be effective. And in terms of um, partnering with um, Australian Psychological Services, um, it was a no-brainer because um, they're leaders in the field and helping, like, like I said, I was started as an individual contributor. And so um, being able to bring in like, you know, world-class experts like that to be able to operationalize the strategies just makes good business sense. Yeah, uh, and I think it's a really good um, uh evidence of the value of bringing in external subject matter expertise when you don't necessarily have it internally. Not that you don't know what you're doing, <laughs> I guess you clearly do, uh, but it just, um, you know, it helps maybe to get to the point quicker. And obviously in a company that's changing as rapidly as zero, it's uh, probably worthwhile, you know, doing things that help you to get change, get to where you want to quicker rather than, you know, trying to do it on your own. That's right. And they, um, both Dave and Laura have pitched from the start. The model is, I mean, highly collaborative uh, and also with the view to develop 
an internal capability um, within our, you know, our HR or, or PX team uh, where we're training up um, this group of people to be able to deliver these reviews autonomously. And you know, it might take a period of time, but that's the view. Um, so it's a, sort of a healthy, uh, healthy non-dependent relationship, but it's, um, it's great to be able to leverage their expertise. And uh, like I said, it's been so valuable. Yeah, it's uh, it's great that David and Laura are doing that. Um, yeah, you do hear some horror stories, but it's definitely aligned with our philosophy. Let's teach people to fish. Um, you know, it's going to be much better for long-term sustainable outcomes. Yeah, I think from a um, like an acceptance perspective across the workforce as well, sometimes having that external expertise come in um, gives it a, um, I guess, a view of credibility. Um that maybe wouldn't necessarily be there if it was just viewed as an internal only initiative. Yeah. And that's what I mean about, you know, having speed for impact, mm. you know, um, being able to bring someone in there rather than having to, you know, try and convince people softly, gently, let's just actually bring people in who've done yeah. this at many other large companies before and can, you know, speak to the benefits. Oh, hundred percent. I think it's, it's, um, and what I love about the integrated models specifically is that it showcases how you can draw from so many um, a wide range of disciplines. And I'm certainly, um, as a you know person who's implementing in a workplace, uh, that I'm like a pig in mud because it, it sort of demonstrates that you can really draw on a wide variety of fields like organizational psychology, cognitive psychology, you know, um, organizational development. There's so many fields that you can um, uh, draw on to help influence uh, the well-being climate. Well, Lucas, um, you're doing an amazing job there at Zero, and obviously it's going to be a challenging uh, time as the business continues to grow rapidly, but it's great to hear that you're getting some support. Uh, if you had to think about the future now, what would some of your hopes be for the future of workplace mental health? I feel like there's a piece around language that I think is um, is really valuable. I think that... Um, simplifying. Um, I think that my efforts would be um, looking to find ways to simplify and gain a common language across people where um, these, these models are um, you know, demystified and accessible to people across workplaces. I think that would be um, a huge win to see that fluency of the way that people talk about um, their experience of work and are able to name it to tame it, name it to influence these factors. Um, I think that getting that level of um, yeah, literacy would be, um, you know, like small but incredibly powerful change. Um, so that would be my number one call out. Yeah, we've been talking about this maturity model uh, internally lately. And in fact, on our last episode with Kat, that would add a bit just before this one, we spoke about it as well. Um, and I really see that as probably the next level um, from where there is a focus on just the individual being responsible for self-care. And maybe the company does provide, you know, individual uh, resources, whether it's a mindfulness app or EAP. But then the next level is, hey, this is actually a shared responsibility between employer and employee. And the least we can do if we're not going to mitigate all sources of work-related stress is to provide the education and give people the language to understand these things, as you say, um, uh, and, and make that more of a mandatory approach as you would with any other occupational risk that, or hazard that hasn't been successfully mitigated. So, uh, yeah, no, I think language is incredibly important. So... Um 
Do you have any advice that you'd like to offer to our listeners who might be thinking about making a move into uh, the psych health and safety field of work? I would start by um, spending six months in silent meditation in the jungle of Malaysia. <laughs> That's definitely the... A very, a very practicable step. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, no, I think that's. I, I think. I think it's a high bar to to follow that one. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, could exclude a few people. I think. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah, uh, I just. I mean, I, I think that um, what my um, what I've loved is coming in from a diverse background and being able to lean in. I mean, I think you have to be curious, uh, surround yourself with the, the right people who, and, and evidence based models that really. Um, uh, are showing that they're doing great work in organisations and being effective, and um, yeah, I think that that would be that would be my two my my two suggestions: are stay curious and surround yourself with the, the right people, and meditate. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, actually, on that was that a six months silent meditation, like right? Yeah, I mean, you could speak to the head monk um, once a week, but he uh, was largely spoke Malaysian, so. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was sort of an awkward silence rather than a meditative <laughs> silence at that point but um, yeah it really did it was a profound experience um, and you know as a 21 year old I remember leaving there I caught the train out like there the was like the experience of leaving this this uh, this uh, meditation hall and on the way to Thailand, and I remember just sitting there, and there was a buzz of you know carts going up and down the aisles, and people were moving around. And it was like a, a very stimulating experience. But I remember just like sitting back and feeling my belly, belly rise and fall, and under and uh, I guess it's that sense of control or autonomy or um, ability to self-regulate was was um, was this beautiful gift I got from that time. So um, yeah, I've been a big advocate of, of meditative practice since then. Yeah, oh, I can imagine the sensory overload, like you yeah, say. Yeah, it would be jarring, it. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, uh, Lucas, it's been fantastic to have you on. Thank you so much for being able to share. Hopefully, we're able to get the permission to share as much of this episode as possible because you have been able to give, uh, I think, our listeners a really good practical mm. insight about, you know, if you're doing this role internally, you know, what are some of the things that you need to be mindful of and how do you create change and impact? So thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. It's been great to have the opportunity. Well, that brings us to the end of the uh, the episode. Listeners, remember, we do record these things over Zoom. Um, and uh, Lucas did do the benefit of uh, wearing a hat today um, to cover up his muffled hair because he hasn't had a haircut probably in the last three months living in Sydney. Um, we do also put small clips on the Flourish DX LinkedIn page. So uh, do feel free to check out uh, some of the clips that will come out from this episode as well. And while you're over on LinkedIn, uh, feel free to connect with myself and Joelle. And it sounds like Lucas likes surrounding himself with like-minded professionals as well. So I'm sure uh, he won't mind you reaching out to him as well if you have any questions following this conversation. So that brings us to the end, listeners. We'll catch you next episode. You've been listening to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. To stay up to date with the latest on psychological injury prevention, follow Flourish DX on LinkedIn and subscribe to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast at www.psychhealthandsafety.com.